blood. Yeah. The blood, the blood flowing over that joint. It's given so much trouble. Totally restoring everything that's been damaged. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood flowing over that mind. That mind restoring everything that the enemy has done to destroy. Healing in the mind by the blood. The blood. We plead the blood of Jesus over every body. Thank you, Lord. Plead the blood of Jesus over financial situations. We plead the blood of Jesus over marriages. We plead the blood of Jesus over the calling upon people's lives that have been held up. Thank you for the blood that never, ever loses its power to heal, to set free, to deliver, to make whole. The blood that's able to conquer and overcome judgment for the mercy that's in the blood. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. We glorify and we magnify you, Lord. Thank you for this day that you've made for us. We thank you for utterance to speak as we ought to speak, God. Bring your word to us. Make it alive to us that it's not words of men, but word, word of God, the word of God set in our heart that it might become productive, fruitful in our life. We might be equipped to walk in that. That is the word settles within our heart. You grant unto each one a boldness to speak and to bring forth the revelation of that word. And stretching forth your hand, signs and wonders would be wrought wherever they are. God, bring an expectation and a hope on the inside of each and every one for the power of the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for every situation, every circumstance. We give you the glory, the honor, the praise, and the thanksgiving for everything that will be accomplished by your word and by your spirit in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Praise the Lord. It's a great day to be alive. It's a great day to be in church. Fellowshipping with the body of Christ. Amen. You all are the most significant people on the face of the earth. How many believe there's revival? About half of you. Well, when you start believing there's revival, you'll have revival. Right? You'll have revival. You'll have an awakening in your own heart, believing it. But if we believe there's revival upon us, then you are. Wherever your sphere is, you are the most significant person where you are. Because once you awaken, you'll awaken things around you. It's not a time to feel like everything else around you is taking over. It's a time to understand that God has revived you, that the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you as a wellspring of life springing up. So your importance, the enemy might say, well, you're not that important. You're very important and significant wherever God has placed you. Amen? So we gather together the greatest people on the face of the earth, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're members of that body, significant, important in life. You need to know that. You need to know that. Look at somebody next to you and say, you're important. You're significant. The life of God dwells in you. You're endued with power from the Holy Spirit of God to be a witness of Jesus right here in this valley. So you're important and significant to the kingdom of God. If you believe that, you can be seated. 
Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, I don't want to have to cheerlead you every Sunday. Come on, I want you to come in excited because people have been affected. We see revival. This place is going to be full. Why? Because you're sharing Jesus with people wherever you go. You just can't help yourself but to share the goodness of God wherever you go. Thank you for your enthusiasm. If you see it, if you expect it, you know, often like, God, send revival. Well, he's going to send you. God, send revival. He's like, I'm trying, but you can't get excited. So as soon as I can wake you up to what I'm doing in you, man, it'll spread like wildfire. So God puts you somewhere where there's not a lot of fire. There's just some dry wood. Right? Just souls dry. You might say, man, I work amongst the world and ah, it's so hard. Well, it's like a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. Oh, but God puts you right there. Why? Because you got a wellspring of life. You got water coming up out of you. You got the Holy Ghost coming up out of you. So you can water that area. And all of a sudden, you know, at first, you're just, it's just like dry wood. You, you share something, it's like... And you think, well, it didn't do any good. It's just dry. But if you just keep pouring out, pretty soon, it'll just start getting wet. It'll start getting a little muddy and murky. Then all of a sudden, stuff will start to come up. So can't be discouraged at the first try of springing up because you're in a dry land. And so when it first springs up and gets on people, it's like they're dry. It just soaks up. They don't even know what they're getting. But the more you be a light, the more you let the Holy Ghost move through you, you're, you're water to a dry and thirsty land. You are. Believe it or not, you are. Praise the Lord. The moment you believe it, the moment you're laying in bed and the Spirit of God says, whew, I got you. Come on, let's go together. I'm going to utilize you to manifest myself tomorrow. You'll wake up going, "Woo, here we go. Let's go, Holy Ghost. Because you realize I'm not going out here trying to do it for him. I'm in covenant. I'm doing it with him. So you don't have to be afraid. He's with you. It's like, what if I do something? Well, if that's your attitude, what if I do something and nothing happens? Well, then you're in trouble. But you realize, I'm just in obedience to him, going to let him out. Something's going to happen. All right. Not my message. Just encouraging you. Like I said, I'm not bringing pom-poms every Sunday. Because I know revival's here. You're going to come in excited about what God is doing. You're going to be bringing people with you. Blow the roof off. Come on. Yes. Who knows? We might be one of those places where there's fire on the roof. The fire department shows up and goes, oh, we thought there was a fire, but it's just the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come on. That'll be fun. It's happened before. And if God did it once, he'll do it again. All right. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. I need to get going because I already proved first service. Can't get this all in, in time. Praise the Lord. Wow, time's already gone. <clears throat> all right, praise the Lord. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 1, a foundational text in this series, uh, The Mindset of Marriage. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, we read that. Think, man, listen, if you looked at my schedule, you looked at my time and all that, to give my body a living sacrifice to God, that doesn't seem that reasonable. I got other things to do. But again, he's talking covenant mindset. He's talking about covenant. And so when you understand covenant... Right? We're going to start just a series. I don't know how we're going to entitle it. But we need to get a, 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 an understanding of covenant. It will change everything. So when we started that series, I was thinking. Right, We, we attacked or, or came into not just thinking. We have millions of thoughts a day. But what's your mindset? And so Paul said, we have to cast down strongholds. In other words, he says, you're going to have to come against mindsets. Not just a single thought, but mindsets that are contrary to the obedience of Christ. Right, And so those mindsets that we develop, and so there's certain important mindsets for every person. And so marriage, if you're married, the mindset that you have on marriage, and marriage is so important. Family, as we talk about this, it's not just simply for married people. You are the bride of Jesus, so the understanding of marriage and covenant is important. Your money mindset. Even so many believers have such a twisted mindset on money. But if you understood covenant it would make perfect sense to you. Man, I, I wouldn't withhold any good thing that God talked to me about giving because he's trying to work in covenant. He says, if you let loose of really what belongs to me through covenant that's in your hands, I'll let loose of what's in my hands. Right? Church, divine supernatural relationship. If people saw it as covenant, covenant. Man, we're all joined together. The reason we're here together is because of the blood of Jesus. It's redeemed us. We have covenant together. If we understood that, it wouldn't just be about time and what's convenient. It would be about covenant, linking together, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves is the manner of some is. Why? Because there's encouragement. There's strengthening. Why? He just goes right into that. He said, if, if, if people sin willfully after they have a knowledge of the blood of Jesus, man, there's no other sacrifice that's going to happen. So we have to come together and say, listen, man, the blood of Jesus has done all it's going to do. Let's get in on that. Let's keep walking in the blood. Don't fall back into sin. Don't backslide into sin because there's not another sacrifice. If under the old covenant, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, somebody caught in sin could be stoned to death, how much worse punishment do you think would come upon the one who treads underfoot the blood of Jesus? Counts the blood of Jesus as a common thing. Frustrates the spirit of grace. So it's pretty significant. To understand the covenant that we have with him and how it covenants us together to strengthen one another so we don't just go out from Sunday or Monday back into the world and fall into sin. And continually live with a mindset we're just falling under that condemnation rather than rising above all that. Realizing what a privilege it is. Not a duty, but what a privilege it is to be joined as a member of the body of Christ. Amen. So the mindset, the mindset of covenant is so important in every major thought process that we have. And so he says, uh, it's only your reasonable service worship and don't be conformed to this world. Well, how does the world conform you? Through thinking, through thoughts, through ideology, through, through bombarding you with information, changing your mind. 
changing your mindsets. He said, but you need to be renewed. I need to be renewed in the spirit of my mind, renew my mind so that I can put to test or prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Sometimes we don't even think when we're acting, is this the will of God or not? We just do whatever feels good without ever wondering, is this God's will for my life? Would God approve of this? Would God approve of what I'm about to do? Some people don't even know if God would approve or not. They're just like, well, I think he would. I would if I was him. But then afterwards, you feel bad. Why? Well, because he didn't, you know, on the inside. So he said the way we're going to get to this place is to renew our mind to the will of God so that we can put to test what is the full will of God. So many Christians straining, spending a lot of time just to find out what's acceptable. Well, I can get away with a lot and still be acceptable. Why would you do that when Jesus paid, poured out his whole life? Not just trying to figure out what he could get away with and still be, you know, in a good position with God. No, he gave everything. So he's talking covenant here. And understanding those things helps us to realize that really when we're talking about marriage, this relationship... Certainly, as I already said, that, that it's for everyone because we're the bride of Christ. It's a mentality. But the family is so important as we've covered it. The family is so important. You can't have a healthy church without healthy families. Amen. Can't have healthy community without healthy churches. Can't have healthy nation without healthy communities. So we're having trouble in our nation. We can yell at the news all we want. We can talk down the leaders of our nation all that we want, how bad they are, how much judgment they're having wrong. But we've allowed, the church has allowed the family to come apart. We're not thinking right. If the statistic of a divorce is equally the same as in the world, then the church has been duped into thinking that marriage is not important. But it's super important. It's super important. So, again, I just want to put this out here. If you've been married, right? You're not married right now. God wants to have a, a loving relationship with you. If you're married and your marriage is split up for some reason, we're not going backwards. God has a plan for you. But you can't have a healthy relationship in the future if you don't have a healthy relationship with God. Can't have a healthy relationship with God without understanding covenant and these principles. So they apply to each and every one of us. If you're a young person and you're not married yet, I mean, soak it up like a sponge. Had somebody come up to me and said, if I'd have known this 50 some years ago, would have changed my marriage in my life. So if you're waiting until you get married to understand some of this, I mean, some of it you can never really understand and put to practice till you're married, but you can get a head start in understanding covenant. Amen. So Malachi chapter two, verse 13, the, the message translation says this, <clears throat> and here's a, a second offense. You fill the place of worship with whining and sniveling because you don't get what you want from God. Do you know why? Has anybody here ever prayed, you might not want to raise your hand, prayed and not got what you wanted from God? Not got what you wanted from God. Well, there's a couple reasons for that. But if you're praying out the will of God, what you see in the word of God, and you're not getting an answer. Because he said, if we pray according to his will, we know he hears us. If we know he hears us, then we have the petitions that we ask of him. But if you're crying out on the will of God, but you're not getting what you want, then it's time to check on your marriage relationship, check on church relationships, check on covenant relationships that have been made. 
right? He said, if you don't, uh, it's simple. He said, because God was there as a witness when you spoke your marriage vows to your young bride. And now you've broken those vows, broken the faith bond with your vowed companion, your covenant wife. Now, in the first service last week, I don't think I did it in this service, but in the first service last week, I I just opened up. I said, you know, if I've done your marriage ceremony, then I know that you made these vows to each other. But if I didn't do your marriage, I'm assuming I didn't do your wedding ceremony, then I'm assuming that you made some vows. Now, I know it just depends on when you were married. Some people want to write their own vows. said this last week. I, now, when I have couples, they go, we want to write our own vows. I said, I want to see them. So why? Because you need to vow something. Because usually when they write their own vows, they're like, when I saw you, you were so beautiful. And you stole my heart. And I love you forever. And I just, it's going to be such a joy. And they just, it's like Poetry. But you need to make a vow. Right? You need to say, we're in this for life, baby. We're covenanting together. So listen, it says right here. When you made your covenant vow, when you said in sickness and in health, in poverty and wealth, good times and bad, I'll be faithful. I'll be with you. I'll love you no matter what. God wasn't playing games if you, even if you were. He said, I was right there while you were making your vow. And he said, now I'm watching because I never left. And you're cheating on your vow. See, some people just think, well, I've never, I've never cheated on my wife. Yeah, but if you're not loving her and you promise to, you're cheating. If you're holding something against her and not forgiving her, and you said you would in your vow, then you're cheating. If you said you'd be right there in good times and bad, but when it gets bad, you drift off, then you're cheating. Certainly, if you're not faithful, you go give yourself to another person, you're cheating. Husband or wife, you made those vows. God was right there. Come on, there's something on the inside of us. People who don't even know Jesus have this so many times. They call. Or sometimes people stop in. Haven't seen them. They visit. In a couple weeks, you find out. They're coming to church because they're about to get married. And so they're coming hoping that you'll be their pastor to do a, a wedding. But they really haven't gone to church. They're not really intending on going afterwards because it's not really part of their commitment. But they want a church wedding. They want a pastor to do their wedding. But see, they they put themselves in a tough spot. Because if the pastor knows what he's doing, then he's praying at the beginning. We're having a covenant ceremony, God. We invoke your presence in this covenant ceremony. So when they make their vows, God's here. When they walk out and go, whoo, really don't, that was fun. We got a Two million likes on Facebook. Woo, wasn't that fun? Boy, wasn't that beautiful? We, we, we did it better than our friends did it. Well, none of that matters when you get mad at your spouse and say, I'm not going to forgive you. I'm holding this against you for the rest of our life. God says, wait a minute. That's not what you covenant vowed to them. You covenanted that you would forgive them. 
Okay, I know, you can hear it all, well, you don't know what they did. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Well, I don't know what they did, but Jesus does. I mean, that's like Jesus saying, well, I can't forgive you because you don't know what you did. What I do to you, Jesus? Well, you hung me on the cross. You laid me over a whipping post. I was beaten unrecognizable, nailed to the cross, spit on, mocked, persecuted. We'd all say, I didn't do that. Sure you did. But he went all the way and forgave you. Okay, I know this is working on folks. Come on, there's some things you can read in the Bible. There's some things that break that covenant that maybe you can't get back to. But more often than not, we just didn't see ahead of time. We inflicted wounds upon each other because we weren't thinking covenant. We broke some things. So we're not going back. Right? As we look in here, it says that, uh, we'll just continue. It says, God was there when, as a witness of your marriage vow to your young bride. Now you've broken those vows, broken the faith bond with your avowed companion, your covenant wife. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does God want from marriage? Children of God, that's what. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. I hate divorce, says the God of Israel, the God of angel armies. Says, I hate the violent dismemberment of the one flesh marriage. So he says that. If we're not careful, we run around saying, God hates me because I had a divorce. No, he doesn't hate you. He loves you. Even if you've been through a divorce, God loves you. But we have to understand and learn to move forward from here to understand the covenant mindset that exists so we can join ourselves to one with him. So if there is a relationship for us in the future, we do it in a covenant way, not a selfish way, or it's simply a contractual way. So it's incredibly, incredibly important. All right, so we're going to go through these things and uh, try to make up some, some ground here. Uh, the number one thing we talked about is problems or opportunities. First mindset you have to have in marriage. Problems are opportunities. Problems are opportunities. So reading this book uh, called Mindsets, uh, uh, Addison Bevere recommended it to me. It was really the initial psychologist that came up with the, 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 one of the initial ones, fixed mindsets or growth mindsets. And so there's a chapter there on loving relationships. It says that, that a fixed mindset is really that problems tell us that there are, are, are character issues or un, insurmountable issues with a person. Why? Because a fixed mindset in marriage just says this kind of thing. You know, Uh, if we're in love, everything should work out fine. Or if it's the right relationship, everything should just be fine. Then therefore, if there's problems in a situation, you know, if you have problems in your life and you're the only one there, I guess you just have to look at your own life. But when there's problems in a marriage, another person's involved, it's just easy to affix blame to them and say, you're the problem. And so then problems really become the issue rather than us understanding a problem is an opportunity for us to come together in covenant. 
find our strengths and our weaknesses and how we fit together to overcome those issues. That God being wrapped together in that third place and the love of God, which is the character of God wrapping us together, makes us undefeatable. Undefeatable. Somebody say undefeatable. Undefeatable. All right. So he says this threefold cord's not easily broken. You can become undefeatable with a good mindset of marriage. Amen. And so uh, number two, it says caring for yourself is not necessarily selfish. You can be selfish in caring for yourself. But understanding covenant and the, the, the union that we're to have together simply means that I should take care of myself physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. That just because I, I ma- got married and said, now I do, now I have a wife, I don't have to pursue her anymore, I don't have to take care of myself. No, if you understand covenant, then you're bringing all that you are and all that you have into that relationship to strengthen it. If all of a sudden I don't care, take care of myself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, then I let down on that. I'm not bringing my very best into it. Then it's not fair. Sometimes young couples, they just get excited about marriage. They've never even matured, never even thought about maturing their life in God. So they're bringing really a disabled person, a mature person into a marriage. It's not really fair to just simply know that and bring yourself into a covenant union. And so we usually prepare ourselves. We think up stuff. We listen to one another. We talk to one another. But then after we're married, taking care of yourself, spirit, soul, and body, is something that's very important. So you bring the best that you are. You bring all of your strengths empowered by God, the wisdom of God, into the marriage union. And if your spouse does the same, now you have that vital union. But to let go of caring for yourself, caring in your prayer life, caring in your physical body, caring in how that goes. I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I have a wife now. She's stuck with me. Well, no, that adds tension. Right? If your health gets bad, then it adds those things that are going on. So we care for ourselves. Number three, love each other in the fullness of its dimensions. Love is, there's a depth, a breadth, a height, and a length to God's love. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I just want to read this real quick. Many of us know it, think it's very poetic, but really it's just a, 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 an outline, a good outline of some things that God's uh, laid out for us, planned for us. Praise the Lord. Where did I put my book? There it is. Praise the Lord. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I became a so- come a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. In other words, communication without love is just a bunch of noise. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and though I have faith that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. You can be super gifted, but if you don't use your gift to edify and to build up your spouse or others, it really doesn't have the import or you're not who you think you are. Number three, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Sometimes people get into that place, like I give everything into this marriage, they give nothing, and uh, it's really not profiting you because it's not really from love. It's to prove that you're the one giving everything. But with love, it will profit. Verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Whew. 
Now, if you took that and said, Let's, let me see how I'm doing. Let me put those in order with a little box and let's check mark. Let's be honest with ourselves and check mark what we're doing good. You know, there was a, 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 a point in, in our marriage, um, we'd gone through some different things, you know, the enemy comes subtly, gone through some things uh, in our life, in the church, and just a number of things, and, uh, you know, working on those, but, you know, Tasha started saying, you know what, it just doesn't take very much, you're just very, you're very touchy, and so it's easy to go, no, I'm not. Very sensitive. No, I'm not. You are. So, you know, we were having that thing go back and forth. So, thank God for the Holy Ghost. I was praying. I'm like, God, she keeps, atten- she keeps getting on me about that. But I think she's the one that's touchy. He said, well, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And, you know, whenever he says to do that, I'm like, I know what it says. But he doesn't let you off the hook. You know, as Mark Hankin says, it was written so it could be spoken. So he wants you to read it, get it accurate. So I'm reading this. Love is patient. Love is kind. But then it gets to that point. Love's not touchy or fretful. So, you know, I'm saying I love her, but I'm, well, I love you. But I'm just a little touchy. That's just the way. Well, no, love isn't touchy. Your old nature might be touchy, but love's not touchy. So he had me read that. Love's not touchy or fretful. Do you love her? Well, yes, I love her. Are you touchy and fretful? No. All right, read it again. (laughs) Come on. God speaks to you like that. It's good. You know, he talked to Peter like that. Do you love me? He's like, come on, you know I love you. He said, well, then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Oh, you know I love you. He started getting frustrated. He said, you're not quite getting the point. So that happened about three times. I said, okay, okay, I get it. I get it. I need to work on not being touchy. I need to work on that. How many of you read through that and said, how am I doing in walking in love? We all might know that, but who's looked at that and said, well, maybe I'm not doing so good. Well, I'm just not a patient person. You might not be, but love is patient. So we're talking about a transformation into Christ's likeness. And He is love. There's many facets to it than this. So if we just read over it and say, I love you, but we're actually not living in love, then it creates some confusion. I know you say you love me, but you don't do the things that love does. In fact, you say you love me, but if I was to look at it, you are doing the thing love doesn't do. Okay, I'll keep moving. And so, this is uh, Henry Drummond's book. Mark Hankins uh, recommended it a few years ago. In fact, after he recommended it, he came into the office. He said, here, you need to read this book. He gave me a copy. It's a really good book. And it's just a small book. We sold out in the bookstore after first service, so we'll get some more in there. But it's just a small book. Given this book to people, I'm trusting that my staff has read it a number of times. We've asked them to. A number of people have given the book and then said, did you read the book? Not yet. I'm too busy. It's not a very big book. 
You have to be busier than God intended for you to be to not be able to read this book. But see, you look at it just as the greatest thing in the world. And I mean, how many of you wouldn't want the greatest thing in the world? But then we look and it's, oh, it's 1 Corinthians 13. But it's powerful. He even invites you in the book to just go through it 10 times a year with him. 10 times a year. But anyway, listen to this. He says, uh, uh, he says this, speaking of it, he says so much for the analysis of love. In other words, he breaks down all these aspects of love. He said, now the business of our lives is to have these things fitted into our character. So you can look at love is patient, love is kind, and you can understand it. But if you never fit it into your character, it never becomes productive. So you'll never really be productive as a husband or a wife since it's a God union if you don't develop, if I don't develop the love of God as a primary mindset concerning that. All right, fitted character. That is, that is the supreme work to which we need to address ourselves in this world to learn love. Is life not full of opportunities for learning love? Every man and woman every day has a thousand of them. The world is not a playground, it is a schoolroom. Life is not a holiday, but an education. And the eternal lesson for us all is how better we can love. What makes a good cricketer? That's like the game of cricket. He was an Englishman. What makes a good cricketer? Practice. What makes a good artist, a good sculptor, a good musician? Practice. What makes a good linguist, a good stenographer? Practice. What makes a good man? Practice. Nothing else. There's nothing capricious about religion. We do not get the soul in different ways, under different laws, from those which we get the body and the mind. If a man does not exercise his arm, he develops no bicep. Told the first service. Jonathan's been exercising his arms. He's wearing a sweater today, so you can't see it. But he's got some pretty significant biceps. I'm just working through the envy part. If I exercise as much as him, um, and if a man does not develop his, uh, exercise his soul, he acquires no muscle in his soul, no strength of character, no vigor of moral fiber, no beauty of spiritual growth. Love is not a thing of enthusiastic emotion. It is a rich, strong, manly, vigorous expression of the whole round Christian character. The Christ-like nature in its fullest development and the constituents of this great character are only to be built up by ceaseless practice. So, we can get a mindset. I'm going to get into 1 Corinthians 13. Instead of just reading it like a poem, I'm going to make a checklist, and I'm going to practice being patient. I'm going to practice being kind. I'm going to practice not looking at myself all the time and being self-seeking. 
I'm going to practice not taking account of wrong done to me. I'm going to take account of not rejoicing in unrighteousness, but only rejoicing in truth. I'm going to practice bearing up under everything, believing the best in everything, enduring all situations. To develop love that is the bond of perfection, the bond of maturity, the bond of completeness. How much better, we look at it as Christians, how much better as a husband and a wife to join us together in that Christ reflection to the earth of what marriage is. Number four, mindset. Intimacy is the key, not sex. Come on, so often we get in there and think we're going to get better if we have this relationship. But intimacy, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Paul ends the letter to the Corinthians, and he says, this is uh, what I want to end with. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So he knows the intimacy uh, of that, that, that word, that word koinonia. It means intimacy. It means uh, intercourse. It means um, a partnership. It means shared responsibility. So he says it's very important in any relationship to have this intimacy where you're sharing your thoughts and your heart. You're sharing the understanding of your strengths and your weaknesses so that you can engage in a relationship that causes you to move forward and causes you to, to, to really gain the strength and the power of God because He's that third person, that third cord to your marriage. And you engage that through that intimacy of marriage. And so, you know, sometimes you look at things and, and uh, uh, you know, I've got this 92 Bronco and it's a standard transmission. So I was thinking about this, how, how uh, our, our strengths and our weaknesses work together and the opposite, the, how their man and woman are opposite one another. And this phrase came up in me. I was just praying one day. He said, my people have to engage with one another. So immediately my mind went to getting engaged. My God, we're talking about marriage, not engagement. Most people miss the whole point of engagement. He said, no, no. In order to be in covenant, you have to engage with one another. So if you understand a little bit about transmission, I don't understand that much, but I do know that it comes together. The wheels come to the gears come together. And so there's a, there's a male and a female and they, they link together as they roll together, they link together and they start to push one another around. And so when you get into like first gear, it has the, the torque or the power to get you started. But if you stay in first gear and try to get up to 55 or 60 miles an hour in first gear, you're going to blow the motor. You're going to blow out. So some people just want to keep doing the same thing and, and, and c collect momentum. But you have to shift. And when you shift, you actually shift to a larger circle. Why? Because then it engages and it takes less revolution, but it gets more power going. So, so you're going farther with one round than the other. And then when you get that spinning fast enough, you shift again. And so marriage is about engaging, but not just engaging, but your strengths folding in and beginning to create a momentum. And then you begin to see where you're going. So you shift gears and you start to expand who you are as a marriage, which expands and creates momentum and then it moves you into different places and it moves you along faster than just trying to stay in first gear and then you know understanding how that works because often we're just trying to get into gear 
and we don't take the necessary time to, to, to clutch and to shift in a proper manner. And so all of a sudden, it comes together. And if it comes together and doesn't fit, it makes the most ungodly sound. You just know something's going to break apart. We call it grinding the gears. You know, when Caitlin was learning to drive, we had standard transmissions. I said, you're going to learn to drive the Jeep, not the minivan, because you're going to need to know how to drive a standard transmission. Because whoever knows when you might get out in the middle of nowhere and have an accident, and the only thing there to drive is a truck or something, an old truck, you need to know how to drive it. So we get in there, you know, just like everybody else. And so, you know, about the first time she shifts, it's like, I'm like, man, if you can't find them, grind them. Right? And so we do that. Even in marriage, we're trying to engage, and it's like, and we just keep trying. It's just like, push the clutch in for a second. Pause for a second. Find it and engage because it's so important. If you keep grinding them, you're going to break a tooth off. It's going to mess everything up. So if we do that in sync, we find the place where we're creating momentum, and we push the clutch in. Shift. Moves us forward. We keep going. But then, you know, sometimes if you were in third or fourth gear and you just decided to start. Some people just want a happy marriage. If we're right for each other, we should just be a happy marriage. We should already have a house. We should already just be living in nirvana. It should just be great. But then you wonder. But if you, you know, if you put my, my Bronco out there in fourth gear and tried to start up, you'd go, huh, 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 huh. Why? Too, too low of a, too high of a gear just to get the torque to start. So many people want this perfect marriage without getting in first gear, creating momentum, uh, or creating the, the, the torque and the speed to get going. And so they're going, hoo, 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 and they don't understand why, because they want it to be in fourth gear. They want to be moving like somebody in fourth gear, but they haven't even started in first gear. Praise the Lord. And so how do you do that? You have to intimately fit together. Share your thoughts, your emotions, your mind, your heart with one another. Start to fit together. Not just in one physical aspect. Spirit, soul, and body. You're starting to fit together. And the momentum starts taking track. When you're praying about your life and you're praying for one another, your strengths and weaknesses, you're learning how to fit them together, not grind. Boy, things start to connect. You start to move forward. All right, number five. Your relationship has a life of its own. Has a, your relationship has a life of its own. Man, every relationship, you are different people brought up in different places, different genders, different giftings. The Bible says it's a great mystery how this all works. Anybody thought, man, this is a mystery. I don't know how this is ever going to work out. Well, God made marriage, not you. Quit trying to figure it out. Go to God. Because your marriage is different than somebody else's marriage. How you're going to work through all that situation. What you're going to do. How you're going to do it. And it has a life of its own. It's moving. You get married. You're in love. You're going to live forever the rest of your life. Then you run into a few trials and you wonder if it works. So you work through those. Woo! Then you decide, let's have a family. Then you get pregnant. Then you wonder what happened. You know, we were... Uh, when we, we, we got pregnant uh, with Kate. You know, one day we just came home. We were shopping. 
and uh, came home. And I like to fish. When we were first married, I fished about, well, before we got married, I fished every single day. I lived on a creek. I fished every single day before we got married. And so then I like to go fishing. So we came home. It was a Saturday. It was a nice day. Uh, and I said, uh, you mind if I go fishing? She goes, no, go fishing. She walks in. And we had a loft. Our living room was in, our, our bedroom was in a loft. She goes up to the bedroom. And I hear from the loft, sure, go fishing. Just leave me here all by myself. So I'm like, huh. I said, well, I don't have to go fishing. I'll stay here. No, no. Go fishing. I want you to go fishing. So I go start getting my stuff ready. Yeah, if you have to ask, you must not really care. And I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, I don't have to go fishing if you don't want me to go fishing. Oh, no, go fishing. Now I really want you to go fishing. So I didn't go fishing. I left. I walked up to Pastor Craig's. We lived down by the high school. He lived up on Traver Trail. Went up there. He wasn't home, so I just sat on his step. Going up to his front door, I just sat there. I thought, nobody's home, but I'm not going home. So I'm sitting there like this. They drive into the parking lot or into the driveway. He gets out of the car. He walks right by me like this. He goes, well, come on in. (laughs) So I come in and I sit down and he sits there and he says, well, what's up? I said, well, I think Tasha's gone crazy. (laughs) Said, I can't figure it out. She's gone crazy. I said, she tells me to go fishing, but then she tells me not to go fishing. He said, oh, she's not crazy. She's just pregnant. <laughs> Don't get mad at me. He said, I didn't. He said, and every man goes through it. But the reason they don't tell each other is because they figure if they got to go through it, the other guy's going to have to go through it. <laughs> but he said, I'm going to tell you. He said, you know, you'd think you'd know better, but you would just, I didn't. He said, well, you know, her whole body's changing. She's got a life growing on the inside of her. I mean, her whole body, her blood, everything's changing. Emotionally, physically, mentally, it's changing. She doesn't know how it's changing. You definitely don't know how it's changing. So just give a little space. And he said, you'll probably go home, and she'll act like nothing ever happened. I said, well, I wouldn't count on that. She was pretty upset when I left. So I go home. I open the door to our apartment, look into the living room. She's just sitting there doing cross-stitch. She goes, where'd you go? I said, well, I went to Pastor Craig's. Something like, did you have fun? I said, yeah. So I'm looking around. I'm like, who are you? She's just all nice. And then I walk a little bit farther. I look in the kitchen. Brand new sunglasses that I bought. They're tied, twisted in a knot. The lens is laying right there on the counter. I'm like, what happened to my glasses? And she said, when you left, I just pictured that they were you. I said, well, I'm glad I left. But, you know, we had to navigate that time to understand that. Once I understand, okay, things are changing. We don't have to battle about this. This is just part of life and how it goes. And we navigated that. And, man, I'll tell you what, she was so much fun. Uh, When she was pregnant, she had such a great sense of humor. Pastor Craig has a dry sense of humor. So he would invite us over all the time because he'd tell dry jokes that nobody else would laugh at. And Tasha would laugh at his jokes. And so you navigate. Every marriage has a life of their own. 
And so you have to take each instance and go, listen, this is our life together. This is our union together. We have to ask God for understanding and wisdom to navigate our life together because God has an influence for us. God has a place for us to show forth the splendor and the character of God through our marriage. And everyone is a little different because you're going to different people. You're going to different families, and it's different. So just have the mindset that your relationship is different. The sixth one we've already gone over, and that is you can't change your spouse. You can't change your spouse. Amen. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you. We glorify you, Father. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the covenant of marriage. Thank you for the covenant of marriage. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Your loving kindness. Thank you, Lord. We pray over every marriage right now in the name of Jesus. We plead the blood over every single marriage. That you would help each one to understand the depth of the covenant that they have. The glory of that covenant. The splendor of that covenant that you've designed for us. That each person would understand the covenant that they have with you. But God, right now, we speak. We plead the blood of Jesus over marriages right now. And as we entered into this year, you spoke a word of jubilee, of restoration. So we declare restoration over marriages in the name of Jesus. That you take and do what only you can do. To renew covenant. To restore that which the enemy endeavored to totally break and break down. To sever. I thank you by the blood of Jesus and the anointing of the Spirit of God. We speak restoration to marriages right now. Restoration to that union right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That you would have your way. You design marriage, not us. So bring the wisdom, the revelation, and the anointing to restore that which the enemy has tried to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But you came to restore life to the marriage union. And as you do, I thank you, there will be a revival. Father, not just of broken marriages, but restore things that have been broken. Heal wounds. In the heart of every wife. Bind up the broken heart. Put it back together like it was never broken to begin with. The feeling of being neglected or not loved. The wounds that take place heal. Those I pray. For every man who has felt disrespected, lost his own self-respect, fallen away even from his wife because he's lost his self-respect. God, restore once again his confidence in who he is in Christ. Not what was said about him or his feelings, but to know who he is in Christ. That he might take up a role and love and lead as you ordained. So we ask you, Lord, to restore And we declare restoration of marriages. 
We plead the blood of Jesus over them. Declaring that the blood is greater. That your finished work gives us victory in every situation. So we thank you for it. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, the altar workers will be up here to pray with you. Uh, if you need Jesus uh, in your life, need to make him Lord and Savior, they'll pray with you. If you need prayer for healing, they'll pray with you. If you need further prayer for your marriage, they'll pray with you. They'll just be available here to love on you, to pray with you about anything you need prayer about. So you can come up here right after the service. Say this, we go. What God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day.